Hello, welcome to Betsy Goes to the Movies. I'm Betsy. Today's episode is Velocipaster, a truly, truly fantastically terrible movie that my friend Andy told me to watch. This is actually my second time watching it. It just gets better every time. It was released by Siphuno Ventures in association with Hollow Tree Films and Like a Come Home in 2019 and was directed and written by Brendan Steer and stars Greg Cohen as Doug, Daniel Steer as Father Stewart, and Alyssa Kempinski as Carol, who actually did a pretty good job. It's available on Amazon, home of really great B-movies everywhere. All right, my podcast episodes are released every Wednesday. I post updates and episode notes on my website at BetsyGoesToTheMovies.com. I don't know if you can hear it. My cat is sitting next to me meowing with his butt in the air. Um, you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Betsy Goes to the Movies for news and updates. If you have a funny, campy, cheesy, so bad it's good, or just plain bad movie suggestion, you can message me on social media or email me at BetsyGoesToTheMovies at gmail.com. The first thing that comes up is Rated X by an all-Christian jury. Our opening scene, we're in a Catholic church. We have a priest. He is conducting a sermon, as they do. I've known priests. I'm pretty sure he's wearing a Halloween costume. He's coming down the steps. He's in this, it actually looks like a backwards shirt. Maybe somebody like tried to sew something white around the front. Anyway, I digress. He sees his parents. He waves at them. As he's running down the steps, we hear an explosion in the background. When you turn around, There's no car. There's no fire. It just says VFX car on fire. He's very distraught. He's being (laughs) consoled by another priest while he sits in the church crying and drinking sacramental wine. And his mentor's words of comfort are, so your parents died, Doug. It's what parents do. They die on you. So take that to heart. If you're ever running down the steps of a church and your parents' car explodes into wording that says VFX car on fire. But they're in a better place. Is that what they use sacramental wine for? Now we have the point where he's questioning God. Why would God do this? So his mentor solution is to top off the sacramental wine. Sadly, we have faith questioning now. I love how this whole scene is playing out. So he's questioning his faith. Father Stewart, his mentor, is telling him to travel. They're actually sitting side by side on a pew, right? But this discussion has taken place because Doug, the priest whose father died, his Face is put to the right side of the screen and bathed in green light. Father Stewart's face is put to the left side of the screen and bathed in red light. And they're talking through that even though they're facing each other on the pew. If it sounds convoluted and confusing, then I successfully made my point. Still love this movie. I can't tell you how many people I have, I wouldn't say coerced, but definitely gotten to watch this movie through serious encouragement. All right, he is traveling, he is driving. He's driving through what looks like an American neighborhood, although I'm pretty sure he's supposed to be in China right now. Oh, also, just look up the theme song. It's great. Your Extinction Love Would Leave Me Wrong is going to be my next pickup line. Written, directed, and edited by Brendan Steer. Brendan, stellar job. You have made quite a few people very happy. All right, so he is no longer driving in his car. He is now roaming through a forest. He's in a t-shirt, blue jeans, and wearing a backpack as in like the kind of backpack you would take to school and that's pretty much it i'm personally if this were me i would be covered in like 20 ticks by now so i don't know what he's using but he should mark it up he is enjoying the serenity of this forest yes i was right he's in china they made sure to have him say it just in case you couldn't
tell from the giant yellow letters that flash across the screen. We have a young girl running. She is shot through the back by a bow. <laughs> so our hero is actually holding a compass. And although it looks like something that comes out of like a bubblegum machine, as he says, oh, China is east. She comes rolling down the hill, right? She's got this arrow sticking out of her chest and there's blood. She's wearing white, so the blood's pretty obvious. And she's holding up what looks like a giant fang. His first words as he rushes to help her are, are you hurt? I don't know. I kind of feel like an arrow with a lot of blood is sort of a dead giveaway on that. I could be wrong. I'm not continuing. Oh, also she's coughing up a bunch of blood. She's telling him to destroy it or they'll hunt you forever. And he says, oh, you want me to take it? And so he takes it and she's saying the dragon warrior and she dies in his arms. Okay, to be fair, he doesn't speak whichever form of Chinese she's saying. So when he says, you want me to take it? And she nods and then says dragon warrior. I can completely understand his confusion at this point and his assumption that he is supposed to take this fang because he doesn't know she was saying destroy it. And her definition of dragon warrior is not the same as his, I think. I think hers is destroy the dragon warrior. Anyway, I could speculate on that for hours. Back to the movie. Oh, he's being stalked and about to be shot as he tries to back away from the assassin who is somehow dressed as if from feudal Japan versus the girl who is dressed as if she is a Chinese farmer. He managed to, to back into thorns and somehow cut the palm of his hand, which is wrapped around the tooth open, but he's in pain. He's also bleeding onto this tooth and he's falling down a hill and all of a sudden he's awake and he's in Father Stewart room. In case you ever wondered, apparently the phrase dragon warrior is very Eastern. Oh, that was an awkward hug between two grown men. He's very fixated on being hungry. Oh, he's got to get out. He needs air. That can't be good. Being in Durham, we have our fair share of panhandlers, but most of them have the common sense to recognize something like if a guy is running down the street, clutching his hand and bouncing off of walls and wearing a wife beater and sweatpants, he's probably not the guy that you want to run to after like literally run after screaming for money. Also, we're about to meet one of my favorite characters, the heroine, who is also a hooker. She's actually a pretty good actress too, like except for the fact that she calls her pimp daddy-o and oh my God, this guy looks like he's from the 70s and wishes he was Ron Jeremy's brother. If you don't know who Ron Jeremy is, look him up, you're welcome. Also, I'm really confused about why when she walked up and said, I'm ready to go, where do you want me? He slaps her and says not to question what I do. Wow, that's a bald spot with a comb over. Great dialogue here. This guy, he should never take his hat off. Apparently the park is like where they send the prostitutes to go if they're in trouble. I don't know. All right, so we are in the woods. There's a full moon. He's running. He's running. I am guessing we're in the park right now. He's retching. His eyes just turned reptilian. Lots of heaving, muscle flexing. And here she comes, walking down the street. Okay, sorry. See, I don't understand this. Like, there's clearly nobody in the park, so why would he send her there? It doesn't make any sense. Like, it seems like a waste of her talents. Oh, and now she's being robbed. This is like the worst mugging ever. Oh, all right. We have our Velocipaster. Oh my God, this guy is great. Okay, so the special effects, I mean, definitely this was done on a budget, I get that. It kind of looks like a manatee's head or a manatee's body as the head. All you see are the eyes and some claws and he's tearing into the sky. It's the mugger, by the way. Okay, so this mugger has an automatic pistol, right? And he is literally chambering around every time he has to fire. That's not how that works. You got the wrong gun. All right, well, I guess Velociraptor, oh, there goes the head. That is definitely a mannequin. I guess 
Velociraptor guy whose teeth are now dripping in blood is no longer hungry. Sorry, Velocipaster. I can't tell if that's supposed to be his brother or if it's blood spray. And we're back to Doug, our friendly pastor, Velocipaster, waking up in a strange room. He doesn't seem to be wearing clothing. Oh, it's her room. She's also really pretty. They could have given her a better bedroom though. And I love how our prostitute is dressed in a very demure gown, sitting at the foot of his bed with tea. Oh, her name is Carol. So I get being grateful that somebody saved your life. I'm personally not ever going to take the guy who transforms into a dinosaur home with me. She says last night was amazing. He says it can never happen again. He thinks they've had sex. It should never have happened at all. She says that's for sure. And of course, his first response is, oh, was it that bad? Dude, come on. But this dialogue is great. She tells him she was so scared and his response is, was it your first time too? And you can tell at this point, she's pretty sure they're not connecting on the same level. And here we have it. It's not, not bad to look at. He's wearing a pillow and nothing else. <laughs> his argument for why she's wrong is dinosaurs never existed. <laughs> He asks her for something to wear since he has nothing but a pillow. She puts him in a dress and it's very, very uh, clingy. I know a lot of people who would be very happy with this part of the movie. He is now more upset about the fact that she is a hooker in pre-med law than he is about the fact that he's, first of all, wearing a dress that literally covers nothing. He has a nice ass, by the way, and turned into a dinosaur. And of course, he's refusing to help her because he has to run in his dress that covers nothing to confession. Okay, so we've got our guy. He's in confession right now. Oh my God, it's the pimp. He's in confession with the pimp. That's funny. Who is lighting a joint. <laughs> Oh god, this guy's confession. Stole candy from a baby through the baby in the river so it couldn't snitch. Pimps bitches, does drugs, sells drugs and murders people. This is Philosopaster. Okay, so for those of you who don't know, my roommate just walked in the room and I'm recording for the and I am now dragging her into my madness. It's his parents. He blew up his parents. He got a hard on watching them blow up. He's literally reenacting this priest's parents' death. Hey, guess what's about to happen? That's right. So Frankie, mermaid, says, just kill me now. Our priest friend goes, okay. He's like grinning while he watches this guy bleed out in the confessional. You know, the same guy who couldn't help the hooker who's trying to put her way through med and law school. And he's on board. He is going to help her out. You missed him killing her pimp. She's a hooker, by the way, who's putting herself through pre-med law school. Yeah. He just killed her pimp because her pimp killed his parents and laughed about it and got a heart on while they blew up in a car. Oh, no, you missed the best part. So he, he, sorry, okay, for all of you guys, he tells her he doesn't know much about dinosaurs, right? They were murdered not too long ago, and she's like, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, you missed the part where he says dinosaurs didn't, or dinosaurs never existed. That's why I can't be one. <laughs> <laughs> a girl hugged him. He looks very confused. Yeah, this is definitely somebody who works out. There's a training montage. Guys, we are in the middle of a training montage. The montage includes him preaching and killing people as a dinosaur. Oh, and now we have white Jesus looking over him. He's giving her communion. Oh my God, he is literally doing the arm around the shoulder yawn reach. Okay, that's adorable and also kind of super dorky, but in a cute way. 
camera is panning up a tree. Subtitles, I should not say ominous Eastern music. I love it when you have like the criminal mastermind who starts laughing and so the underlings don't know what to do so they start laughing and it's like the world's most awkward, crappy laugh. Like I'm pretty sure I've heard four different laughs from this guy and each one is more ridiculous than the last. I also think that the guy who's playing the criminal mastermind is just making him keep going. Oh, here comes Father Stewart. He looks pissed. Yep, he's about to lose his little, what are they called when they look, uh, protege. Sorry, brain fart. Also, there was something on the camera lens and it was driving me crazy for the whole fucking scene because it was just a black spot. And I remember the first time I watched this, I actually tried to wipe it off of my TV and there was nothing there. I love how he's trying to hide his true crime novel inside a much smaller book. He is terrible at this. All right, Father Stewart's about to give him the lecture. Shouldn't hook up with that hooker, that Jezebel. Again, the lines in this movie are so great. Father Stewart, what if I told you I was different? You're not that different. There are plenty of men like that in the church. Continuing. Oh, really different. Oh, I completely forgot that this was a part of this movie. The part coming up. I love how Father Stewart is mad. This is impossible. This can't be happening. And Doug's solution is to start reciting Bible verses. Father Stewart wants to do an exorcism. Got more Bible verses. Why is it people always blame whoever you're hanging out with? Oh, locking him in is going to totally solve the problem. Yeah, Father Stewart literally just said, don't leave this room without the further modus. Notice? Modus. Well, locked the door and took the key. He wears Converse trainers with his robes. I like that. Oh, oh, wow. All right, so we've got a voiceover. His voiceover is, I had parents once. What would they say? We now flash to him in a sunny kitchen with his parents and everybody is laughing. I miss my parents. I, you know, as adults, I enjoyed my parents. We never sat at a table doing nothing but nonstop laughing. Well, they said, you're my only and I'm so proud of you and then laughs some more. You said that already. His dad keeps saying it's a big decision. Priest college apparently is a thing. They told him to hop on out. They take a drive, pick him up after priest college. I mean, to be fair, they seemed like they loved him a lot. All right, we got Carol waiting for him. Um, all right, he's gonna take Dream Dad's advice and follow his heart and do what's right. Meanwhile, Carol is giving up on him because she can't find him. Father Stewart has come up with an alternative solution since the diocese is gonna take too long. And this comes into one of my all-time favorite parts of the movie. All right, this is where Father Stewart decides that he's going to employ other ways of helping Doug by taking him to see a medium who is played by Voltaire. He even has pointy ears. Maybe that's just his hair. Anyway, he plays Altair the practicing exorcist with suspicious methods. So Doug's launching into his story, his parents being murdered, how all this came about. Well, now we're going to get into Father Stewart's backstory. And this is great. So it's set in the war. They don't actually say if it's Vietnam or Korean. Father Stewart looks exactly the same. He's got the same wig, the same glasses, the same face, but he's in uniform. Altair is considerably younger and not quite so gothic looking. Father Stewart, sorry, he's Sergeant Stewart at the time of this flashback, is telling Altair about Adeline, his girl who's waiting for him back home. The his whole reason for fighting. He's going to start his family with her. He's got his whole future planned. You know, Altair's being just so supportive. I hope you have 11 kids. Spend 15 minutes a day with each of them. Name one of your kids after me. Ali, your war buddy. Ali gets shot. He's dead on the ground, yet he's still managing to puff his cigarette. So Stuart is trying to compose a letter to Ali's mom and dad. And a chopper lands. And it's 
Adeline, who for whatever reason was just dropped in the middle of the war zone, but not even remotely close to their camp. <laughs> um, she steps on a landmine, and when she does, they just throw red paint on him when they're doing his whole recap and and he's saying i tried my hand at the clergy again there's a beep and then the film runs out like the movie's done all right so we have altair i think i screwed it. i don't think ali was altair i think i got that confused i'm not entirely sure it's just the way it tied in with the flashback and it seemed like ali come back from the dead all right anyway they're doing this exorcism now although he's not really demonic so not sure, but since this isn't really a church-sanctioned exorcism, maybe it'll you know, go other way. Okay, he's feeling anxiety, which is normal. It's getting hot in here. I know what you feel. You feel the dinosaur coming on. Hey, look, the lights are flickering. We've touched on this before. Father Stewart's just waving a card around in a circle. It's not really a seance. Seances summon spirits. They're trying to get rid of one. He told you he kept turning into a dinosaur. You didn't believe him. Now he's got his just fantastic special effects costume rubber claw and father stewart is gone from us forever of course altair is taking all the credit for it no that was already there you didn't do anything all right we're running through the woods and here are the ninjas who are not asian well two of them are <laughs> he's writing their plan of attack on cue cards we're getting subtitles of a, a thought over it uh, turns out this is the fiance of the girl who died in the beginning to give Doug the thing or Talon. All right, I'm not entirely sure what's happening here. He's in Velocipaster mode and he's attacking the ninjas and one of them is standing there serenely while you just get flashes of his, I guess, ex-fiance, dead fiance. So <laughs> Carol comes in her apartment, right? He's sitting on her floor and he's covered himself with newspapers. All right, well, she has now seduced the priest. So they're getting their sexy times on. And again, we're back to, they're facing each other. He's on one side of the screen in green. She's on the other side in red. And I guess this is how you get close-ups of them. It's sort of like, it's not really a montage of them having sex. It's just a weird photo collaboration. All right, that goes on for a while. And now it's morning. Well, he wears tidy whities The ninja's coming through her bedroom window. Somehow he is a martial arts master all of a sudden. So is she. I don't know what kind of pose she's doing there. And now that they've kicked a bunch of ninja's asses, they're going to get down again. Oh, Father Stewart's not dead. He's just missing an eye. He wakes up in the tent of the guy who's in charge of the bad guys. Father Stewart doesn't know who they are. This guy's Father Wei Chang, headmaster of St. Artemis. He's the head of the Templar ninjas. He's selling himself as, oh, we are this really great group of ninjas who defeat those who oppose our higher way and try to increase our dropping enrollment rate. They're also drug traffickers. So this is his plan to increase enrollment in St. Artemimus. I'm, I think I'm saying that right. Anyway, uh, they get everybody hooked on a blend of cocaine called Spider's Kiss. It's four times more addictive than standard cocaine. Once everybody in the city is addictive, they cut off supplies, leaving everybody high and dry, so to speak. So they'll have no choice left to deal with their addiction, but to join a help group that's run by Christians, which will make them convert to Christianity and provide them with an unstoppable army of the faithful. And the thing is, this is actually not out of the realm of possibility. I would not put it past some churches. All right, so he kills Father Stewart. Glad he went through the trouble of saving him. 
Oh, we've got the weird maniacal laughter yet again. Suddenly the scroll catches fire. The scroll that has the map showing the cocaine distribution routes. Okie dokie. We're back in Carol's apartment. Doug is staring pensively out across. He has betrayed his faith by sleeping with her. But they got the hideout of the ninjas out of the one guy before he died. I think he should look at it not so much as betraying his faith as maybe there was another plan for him. So they're off to fight the ninjas. She has impeccable makeup. I mean, hey, look good, feel good. Oh, that spot is back on the screen. It's driving me crazy. I literally cannot focus on anything but that spot. I can't stop looking at it. So apparently Sam, the guy who keeps laughing every time the uh, bad guy leader laughs, knows Doug somehow. We're finding this out for the first time. Carol's makeup looks really good. Now apparently they're brothers. We're back to the flashback of the family sitting around the table laughing and Sam is standing in the doorway of the kitchen just staring at them. Wow, that's cold. He's in the car when Doug's dad hugs Doug and says, you're my only son. If I ever had a holster in my back with a weapon and I tried to pull it, I would probably cut myself. All right, what was the point in that? So he draws his sword, flourishes it, and then throws it in the ground and says, I'm not going to stain the sword of my ancestors with your blood. What was the point in drawing it? Everybody's just sort of looking at him like, huh? Carol, turns out, is actually a pretty great fighter. Yeah, I want to know that too. Why were they always laughing? What was so funny? How did he not know that Sam was his brother if they were living in the same house? Also, when Doug keeps just turning around and blatantly looking at the sword in the ground, that, that you know, Sam should maybe notice that everyone else is. Somehow he just magically holds his hand out and the sword flies into it. Oh, valid. Yeah. If the sword works for Sam, it works for Doug too. They have the same ancestors. Okay. Not sure what happened here. They're both standing up. They're screaming, just, just yelling in general, getting ready to charge each other. All of a sudden, Doug stops the ground and then it turns out Sam is on the ground and now they're there's stuff that looks like V8 splashing everywhere. It's orange. It's like the V8 with carrots. Meanwhile, Carol's standing in the background through all of this, just bobbing up and down with her hands and fists, getting ready to hit someone. Girl's got some training in something. This last ninja's like, uh, I'm not quite feeling this. I'm gonna call out the big guy. Come on, Carol, you got this girl. All right. So he slashes her, she falls. Um, another thing I'm kind of confused about, right before the guy comes up to slice her, he doesn't really slice her open, just more like slashes her across the chest. Anyway, everybody runs, but they're, and they're pointing up and over her shoulder, but there's nothing there. I, I don't know what they're pointing out. All right, anyway, Doug's freaking out. She's on the ground, she's bleeding. Somehow nobody figured out that maybe this might trigger him to change. Also, kudos to her for wearing a unitard that goes all the way, like a, a whole bodysuit. I can never pull those off. All right, so she's got the weird orange stuff gushing out of her mouth. The ninjas are crying. The guy who, who cut her is like, he feels bad. He's just standing there all remorseful and everybody's crying while Doug holds her and says, you can't leave me. I love you. Okay, now that looks more like ketchup. She's, she's just kind of gushing blood out of her mouth. She just keeps making these gurgly sounds and then more blood comes out. They're all crying. The ninjas all have their arms around each other. The guy who, who, Slasher is hugging one and kissing him on top of the head. Well, y'all did it. Hope you're happy. I will say the combination of orange and red spatter that's all over his face really brings out the green in his eyes. He says, I believe in faith, but praying right now will never save 
the ninjas are just kind of looking at each other like ant. All right, so we have our first look at the Velociraptor, like the, the actual thing. Um, this is great. First of all, every time he dismembers somebody, it's obvious that he's just pulling a plastic arm out of a sleeve. You know those uh, dinosaur costumes, the rubber ones, where the head just sort of hangs in front? That's what he's wearing. You can actually tell where his body is inside the costume. Like you can see the lump in the shoulders, that's his head. There's a big hole in the bottom, in the crotch, probably what he used to get into the costume. So Wei Chung shoots an arrow, Doug's down, he's got an arrow on the leg, he's back to being Doug again. For some reason, this time when he changed, he actually had his clothes on when he came back. Sam's still alive, not anymore. Apparently China was overrun by dragon warriors a long time ago and were defeated by an anti-venom but the bones of the warriors, they keep finding it and somehow one made its way to Doug. That would be the Talon. Oh, this is a dick move. He like keeps hitting the arrow that's still in Doug's leg. <laughs> so the arrow has the anti-venom on it, right? Which is what makes Doug turn back, except his hand apparently is immune. And he rips the, what is now the mannequin head out of Master Wei's body. And as he holds it up screaming, the little pump fountain of blood that they put inside the mannequin is still pumping. This is a mannequin as in the thing you buy at Sally's Beauty Supply to practice working on hair. So as he's crazed holding up this head, the words over his face are only through the elimination of violence will we finally be able to achieve world peace, which is a quote by Gandhi. He's still screaming. Close up on the mannequin's head. Nice. Doug suddenly remembers Carol. Carol's not dead. So we're in a waiting room. The doctor comes in. He actually has the headband with the mirror on it, which I have never seen a doctor wear. It keeps falling in his face. Doctor picks a cigarette out of an ashtray and starts smoking. Her recovery operating, I'm not sure what the process was here, what the procedure was. It's a, a dental chair. She's sitting in a dentist chair, but she's fine. He's going to take the church on all over the world because it doesn't end with Wei Chun. Oh, a Chevelle. My dad used to have one of those. All right. That was Velocipaster, one of my favorites. You should definitely give it a shot on Amazon. Andy, if you're listening to this, so worth it. Thank you so much for this one. Wow. Actually, I just realized, I think that it was a year ago that you told me about it. Anyway. All right. Join me next week as we listen to another great movie.